This is First Contact, stories of the call center. Get ready to dial into the exciting world of call centers with First Contact, stories of the call center podcast. Join us as we share stories from industry leaders, explore the latest trends and technologies, and tackle the challenges and triumphs of the contact center landscape. Fasten your seatbelt for a high-energy journey brought to you by Nobel Biz, the one-stop shop for all your call center needs, both in software and service. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of First Contact Stories of the Call Center. We're super excited today to have one of our friends join, Rob Bayer, president of Anomaly Squared. He's been an executive for over 25 years in the contact center space. And look, he's responsible for the overall strategy direction for Anomaly Squared, which provides call center services for over 20 plus mortgage groups with an emphasis on speed to lead and driving high contact rates. Rob, welcome to the show. Excited to have you. I'm excited to be here, Christian. All right. Well, look, the way we always start this show, for those of you that already know it, is, look, we want to know how you got into the space. We know you didn't wake up one day and said, oh, that's my dream job, even though it may now be. So tell us about your journey. How'd you get into the space in the first place? Well, it's definitely my dream job now. I mean, there's there's no question. It's been really, really good to me. So uh, interesting story, right? Um, I was paying my way through college as an EMT. I was a medic on an ambulance. And um, yeah, yeah. And so uh, a call center company back in 1995, uh, they came to our area in Parkersburg, West Virginia. And what's interesting is at that, I didn't even know what a call center was, right? I just saw, hey, there's this new company coming in. They're offering jobs. And at that point, I was a college student. They were paying, I think, it, Christian, it was two or three more dollars an hour than I was making to be an EMT. And, and, and don't get me wrong. I love being an EMT. love being in the service industry. But at that point in time, I was thinking, you know, I could work. 10 less hours a week and make the same amount, which means I can study more. I can, you know, probably hopefully do better in school. And so that's how I got my start. I was an agent there for about a year, um, became really good sort of, um, colleagues with one of the one of the the site managers there and they started they were expanding they were opening offices in ohio um they were opening offices in kansas north carolina and i got the question hey do you want to do you want to help us manage right do you want to help help us run these centers so basically i picked up my family and moved to portsmouth ohio within a year there i um, was running that site and sort of the rest is history. I've never uh, 30 years now almost. So it's it's been an incredible career. Uh, met a lot of really good people along the way. So um, I'm, I'm glad just by ha- happenstance, I was able to get into the industry. So it's interesting that you started as an agent, right? Like many do. And then you stayed, right? We know that there's turnover and churn and call centers like crazy. And being able to be in a business where... Um, we, we find a lot of leaders that say it's not really conducive to always being really good at training and building up the future supervisors, the future managers, and some businesses do it better than others. So how did you get from being on the agent side to now obviously being the president of uh, a company? Talk to me about that transition. How did you decide like this is the place to be not only that, but then that opportunity? How did that progress over time into now being the leader? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. So um, I was working part time as an agent and this company that I was working with when I first started, they always promoted from within. And what they would do is they, you know, the better agents, sometimes they would allow them an opportunity to, to hop off the phones 
and go coach, right? They would let us go coach other agents. And so um, I was asked to coach a couple of times and I just actually, I fell in love with it. I love coaching. I've coached girls basketball for many years. I love interacting with people. I love training and, and I love seeing the light bulb go off for people. And I think really what happened for me was through this process, I was, man, they keep asking me to go on the floor more often and more often and more often. So I must be good. Right. <laughs> and so then again, I was asked to go, uh, to move, to relocate and open up a center. And it just really became part of who I was. I was very passionate about it. And so as time went on, I just continued to sort of succeed at each level. Um, and to be frank, what I figured out really quickly was surround yourself with people to get you to that next level. And so as I sort of progressed through different ranks of management where, you know, went from site director to regional manager to a national manager, then I was running operations of the, you know, of the call center. And that's, and then I actually moved here about four years ago and was asked to run the entire company. And what I found Christian, that it didn't matter whether I'm the president of a company or I was an entry level coach, the philosophy, the philosophies of running a business and coaching, developing people were the same regardless of level. So it's interesting you say that because there's always this you know, piece of leadership where people go like, well, you know, I'm not a leader. Or how do I become a leader? Or how do I make the decisions of running a company? And, you know, how different is that? And there's perceptions of you know, leaders that roll up their sleeves and you kind of see them in the trenches and you sit there going like, wow, they're really involved and really transparent, really uh, participating. And there's others where it's kind of like I'm looking up and it's like, yeah, you know, there's several filters to get to there. So when we talk about leadership of both the kind that you saw get, going through your journey to where you are today versus how you now obviously manage your leaders and build the future leaders, anything you learn along the way or things that you'd recommend for anybody else that's looking to progress their journey and how do you become a leader? What is it that you did as a leader or what are things like you said that are just, they're universal regardless of the role? Yeah. So I think a lot of people, I would say 20 years ago or, or, or longer thought leadership was you had to be the ultimate salesperson. You had to tell people what to do and, and sort of make sure, hold everyone accountable. And what I've actually found is for me, at least, right, it's the opposite. And so <clears throat> I think regardless of of position I've been in, I learned early on that diversity in counsel, unity and command was probably a really good philosophy uphold regardless of your position. So what does that mean? Like I was saying earlier, surround yourself with really good people, empower them, engage with them, ask their opinion, get them involved in all the processes. And, you know, uh, Christian, I really think being a leader isn't just pulling people behind you. You're the lead dog on a sled, right? It's actually, if you think about it, the person operating the sled and the Iditarod, they're behind all the dogs, right? And they're letting the dog sort of lead them. And I think for me, um, a, a key component of good leadership, or at least my style has been, I seek the counsel of all those who work with me every single day, because there's no way I know it all right? There's no way I have every single answer. And so um, you've got to have those kind of people. And I, and I, I want to just say this, I think the fact that I moved up through all the different positions within the, within, you know, within a call center industry has allowed me to understand and appreciate the value of each one of those individual um, sort of positions and, 
And I, I think it's allowed me to understand that I have to seek out and engage with all of them to find as many answers as I possibly can. You know, what's so great about that transition is, you know, you have a lot of career leaders, right? For a long time, they've been in leadership positions and they move from company to company as leaders when they get to a certain level. But there's that piece that gets them into leadership at some point. And your journey took you through a lot of individual roles, which gives you a lot of different perspectives, right? Mm -hmm. And I guess through those perspectives in retrospect, when you reflect back on that and you try to internalize what did your experience feel like and look like in each of those roles? And I'm sure that for you, since you excelled and moved through them, not everybody can do that, right? There's people that are really good into moving into leadership and there's other people that are really good into being individual contributors, right? They have no interest in being leaders. Maybe they don't have the skill set for it. Maybe they just don't want the attention. They don't want to participate in that, but they're really good at certain stuff. So from your side of it, obviously retention in the contact center space is huge. How do you see through your leadership and even through your time maintaining and I, I guess you could say creating the enthusiasm and people wanting to stick with the individual contributor role because it's a necessity in a business. Mm -hmm. Not everybody can be a leader, but then yeah. also being able to go, this is how I also still have a bench of leaders for the future. Anything that you've been able to see in balancing that aspect of it and still obviously reducing churn? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I think it's understanding. First of all, I think it's communication with each one of your employees, right? Understanding what their goals are, what they what do they want to accomplish, where do they feel comfortable? What, you know, is the individuals who are really good at their job or their task, but yet don't want to necessarily push forward and take on more responsibility, they're just as valuable in my opinion, as the person who is hungry, it's always looking to do more and always, you know, seeking, you know, the next sort of opportunity. And so I think for me, it's, it's the, the root starts with how do I communicate with each person who's in those different positions? And it's a collaborative effort. And I'll say, you know, I've been extremely fortunate within all the different companies I've worked with, which it's not really been a lot. It's probably only been five or six. I've always had great mentors who took that same approach and sort of, now I wouldn't say necessarily, they don't necessarily take you under the wing, but they're incredible communicators. And that communication includes asking questions, includes engaging, uh, includes, you know, making me feel empowered to control my journey, right? And then also understanding that if I got to a certain point and I was really good at it, I'm okay. Right. And so I, I think that's really important that we make sure every day we're communicating with our employees, making sure that regardless of what their aspirations are, that we are empowering them, that we're making them feel a part of the process. And that regardless of position, whether it's, you know, a janitor or your CFO, every person has a critical role. And, it, and, and if they all come to work and they appreciate, you know, they understand that their role is appreciated and valued, then you're going to reduce that churn. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And so kind of let's pivot over <clears throat> to your art today with Anomaly Squared. Let's talk about what is Anomaly Squared? What do you do? Who do you service? Who's your customer? And, you know, where are you at today as far as being able to service customers? Yep. So Anomaly Squared is about 12 years old. Um, we sort of became a company because the uh, the owner, the one who started it, you know, 12 years ago, prior to Anomaly Squared, he had a mortgage company. And one of his biggest challenges was, you know, getting his loan officers to make the right number of attempts when they had a lead. 
Right. And so they just, you know, they make an attempt and then they would just let that lead sit or, you know, they move on to the next lead, the newer lead, which they thought had a higher propensity to convert. And so, you know, he decided, well, why not? He had a call center background. Why can't I use call center agents to make this initial outbound dial, make this initial tempt, and then warm up the lead and transfer them over to the loan officers? And so the idea was twofold. One is leads aren't cheap. I'm going to maximize every single lead. I'm going to maximize the connection attempts and contact rates. And then I'm also going to increase my loan officer retention rates, because now guess what? They're not doing all the cold calling. They're only receiving those warm leads. So your retention rates go up. So that's sort of how Anomaly Squared came to be. And, and since then, we've sort of used the same philosophy in the insurance agent, insurance markets, right? We do um, a lot of warm transfers, qualification calls for insurance agencies, health enrollment, PNC, um, you know, uh, verticals in that nature. We've also recently, for the last, I would say, six or seven years, uh, worked in a patient recruitment space. Um, uh, one of the feathers in our cap, one of the things I'm most proud of is in December of 2020, we facilitated about 50,000 inbound calls for people who wanted to participate in, the co- in a COVID clinical trial. Right. So in a way, I feel like there's a connection between us, Anomaly Squared, and the fact that, hey, we found vaccines. Right. I mean, we didn't find it, but we were part of that process. Um, And so, there, you know, it's really nice. And so I came on Anomaly Squared about four years ago. Great business model. Like I said, insurance, mortgage, patient recruitment. They were our bread and butter. Um, and since then, I feel like just like, you know, you want to hedge your bets, you want to diversify your portfolio, right? I began to understand and see that, you know what, for us at, at Anomaly Squared, we need to diversify what we do. We need to get outside of these verticals and become, you know, spe- specialists in other markets. And so now we are doing appointment settling. We are doing order order processing. We are taking inbound calls for different, you know, different types of companies. And so, again, it's allowed us to sort of... Um, offset the volatile market right now. I mean, we know the mortgage industry is is tough right now. Nobody's fault other than just, hey, the interest rates are high. The cost of building homes are high. And so, um, you know, so how do we sort of stay afloat then during these times? We diversify. Running a contact center these days takes a great deal of courage and fortitude. Nobel Biz would like to salute the contact center community for not giving up and working hard to drive their businesses down the road to success. As the promise keepers of the industry, our goal was to provide one of the most versatile and cost-efficient omni-channel solutions on the market. Nobel Biz Omni Plus is a cloud contact center software that gives instant access to a full range selection of channels, from voice calls, two-way SMS, email, WhatsApp, Twitter, Telegram, among others. Our solution offers complete control over the externalities by switching from an on-premise technology to a cloud-based solution in just a matter of hours. Get integrated compliance support, advanced reporting, seamless agent and supervisor dashboards, and many more performance-enhancing capabilities, all in just one product. Nobel Biz Omni Plus, the future-proof solution for scaling contact center operations. Learn more about Nobel Biz Omni Plus at www. Nobelbiz.com. So it's interesting that, you know, a lot of times when something disruptive happens, 
it, it can force you to change. Sometimes you see mm. the writing on the wall and you anticipate that and you start to make that change early on. But in that spirit, there's a part of competitiveness that's a reality, right? There's other companies you're going to have to compete against for the same set of work. What differentiates what Anomaly does in the marketplace that allows you that you've seen when you hear from customers that choose you versus somebody else, anything in particular that you're doing that's causing the business to continue to be able to not only evolve, especially into new verticals, it's not your background per se, but to be able to keep customers. Well, I think it's it's twofold. Um, the first one is customization. Um, we pride ourselves in a collaborative effort with all of our partners. So we don't say, hey, we have one way of doing work. It's going to be this way. If you're going to be a partner, this is how it's going to be. No, what we do is we actually take our time to listen to what the customer needs and we build our processes and call center op- operations and tailor it to what that customer needs. Um, one of those is the fact that you know we are moving in, and we'll, I, I will probably get into this in a little bit because that's what NobleBiz does. But an omni-channel solution, right? And so, um, I, really, it's adapting, seeing the trends, identifying it, and not being afraid to tackle new challenges. You know, it's interesting. You used afraid, right? Because a lot of industries, more, some more than others, are risk averse mm. and they're not early adopters, right? They're going to wait till the very end until they have to change. But, you know, we'll talk about it a little bit later on more when we talk about the pandemic. But really, when you have these abrupt changes that force you to adopt something new, um, that fear is, I'm going to lose my business or my employees if I don't change, right? And so that fear is a different driver. But when you say that you're going to have this adoption of technologies or maybe processes or approaches with customers and be flexible, um, it also would mean and, and it would sound like that you'd have to have some sort of confidence and comfort in the industry you're in in a way where you're almost like a consultant to them to be able to help them versus saying, oh, this is what you want. I'm an order taker. Okay. Yeah, no, I can go replicate that. I'm sure there's some portion of that, but I have to imagine there's also another piece where people are coming to you for advice. They're coming for you for best practices, and they're trying to see what you've done for other people that maybe they don't even know how to do. Do you have some approach to how as a business, you're able to take your collective customers and then be able to wrap that around saying, Here's how I can embrace you, new customer, prospective customer, and I can take you on a journey to the next place. Is there any balance between that and just saying, oh, yeah, we can do that, and they're just telling you everything they want? Right. Um, well, there, there's two schools of thought. Um, there is you know, specialized, stay in your lane, be really good at what you do, right? And that's important. And, and, I, and I really believe that that needs to be the backbone of who we are as a company, right? Because it, it, if you get spread too thin, then what happens is you begin to perform a, a poor service for the ones where you've been really good, or you take your eye off the prize, so to speak. But I think there has to be that balance, right? And I think, you know, we mentioned the word afraid. I, I don't know that people are afraid. It's that they've, you know, you've got to dip your toes in other areas and and see what you can do. And so I think for us, I'm really lucky that I have the depth of experience within Anomaly Squared from team member standpoint. My site director has 20 years of experience. Um, you know, my compliance manager, she has nine years of experience. Um, my coaches on the front lines, most of them have five, 10, 15, 20 years of experience. And so what that gives us is that ability to have communication internally. And, and by the way, I, w- I was very serious when I said I 
I rely on my employees to sort of get, you know, tell me whether I am crazy or not. <laughs> you know, can we do it? Are we capable of doing it? And I, I have to listen to them, right? And so um, I'm lucky in that my managers are honest with me. Um, they're straightforward and they don't tell me what I want to hear. They tell me what I need to hear. Because if we don't have that, then um, I don't have the ability to make the right decisions of what direction we need to go. You know, it is so important on that last note you made about telling you what you need to hear versus what you want to hear. I know that that seems like a simple phrase, but most businesses, most leaders um, that have that relationship where you kind of have to feel like you have to filter things or you kind of have to create the story that they, you know, that fits the narrative they want. Um, that approach that some companies have, right, is so different than what you're talking about because you're not only talking about transparency and communication, but you're also accepting the fact that you don't, you're not the know-it-all. You don't know everything. You don't have all the answers, but you also have to be decisive, right? In decision-making, because then you can't have a bunch of people all saying, I want to do something and it's different. So let's kind of around this piece on leadership around decision-making. And you said earlier, something really important about empowering people. Um, I'm assuming not all the decisions have to go through you and you have to obviously uh, enable your staff to do that. Anything around leadership specifically that you've learned or that you share with your team around being able to make decisions? So they don't just sit there in the data forever and then die on the vine. Yeah. Well, I, I'll say a couple a couple pieces to this one. Um, you know, I've been in, about, I, I want to say, uh, close to 80 different call centers over the last 30 years. Now, I didn't necessarily run all of them, but when I was running them, uh, I realized early on that the two most important people to me in a call center was the second in command. And then my lead administrator or lead organizer, however you look at it, right? Um, and the reason is because I can only work so many hours in a day. But without those two pieces who could continue the story when I wasn't present, I failed, right? And so what I realized early on is that I'm only one person. Without key contributors, I can only do so much. I can only get so far and I can only think so, you know, I can only do so many things outside of what I'm doing in the call center. And then, you know, the the other one as far as decision making, right? And I think the key is open communication and consistent communication. And so what I mean by that is, am I consistently engaged with those decision makers? So that I understand their thought processes and they understand my thought processes. And if we're cohesive in that, in that situation, I feel confident that when I'm not around, they are, they're empowered to make this decisions and they also understand what I'm kind of looking to, you know, what I want to take place. And so there, there is a lack of, of fear of making a bad decision because of that consistent daily two-way street of communication. Yeah, it's, it's great to be able to have an, an environment that enables that because I think there's a lot of fear around mm. making mistakes. You know, it's going to cost me my job. And that's not to mean that mistakes couldn't cost you your job, but there's the different types of mistakes, right? There's the mistakes because you keep doing them over and over and you're not learning from them or you're not doing any due diligence to try something different 
or it's the byproduct of being different, trying something different, trying to innovate, you're going to make mistakes, right? You know, the light bulb wasn't invented on the first try, right? There was a lot, a lot of mistakes that were made until you actually came up with the genius idea. So as we shift from that, I know earlier you had mentioned Omnichannel, right? And we've been talking about Omnichannel forever, right? The concept of Omnichannel has been around for a long time. Everyone's been talking about it, but you're saying that now you're kind of moving towards adopting that. Now, when we talk about omni-channel, there's a lot of different medias you can leverage today. What in particular medias are your customers asking for or are you trying to move them towards when you are talking about the verticals you're servicing right now? Where do you see that trend going and what are you adopting? Yeah, so I kind of, you know, there's there's two sort of catchphrases that are pretty big right now. One is employee engagement and the other one is um, customer experience, Right. But I like to look at both of those and one and the same and really convert the words experience and engagement into the word empowerment, right? Employee empowerment, customer empowerment. And what I mean by that is, are we offering, are we allowing the customers to determine the way they want to communicate? Right. What is the best way for them to communicate? What are they most comfortable with? We, you know, we talk about the different demographics. You know, my 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 father wants to pick up the phone. You know, Uh, my son will not pick up the phone, and he's only going to text. And so, I think one of the keys to the future of the contact center space is: Are we giving those customers the the option? And that empowering them to communicate the way they want to on an individual basis. The reason is because the more we empower them, the more likely they are to make a positive decision and, and impacts us. And I'll use this sort of analogy. So, Christian, if I if I say, you know, that today is election day, right? Today is the polls are open, and one of the most important things we want to have happen is we want as many people in the world to show up and vote as we possibly can. We want we want the nation to to ha- to have their voice. Well, I can take this I can take this approach to two different ways. I can say, you know, Christian, we all need to do our civic duties. We all need to get out there and vote. Um, it's part of what who we are. It's America. We need to participate. So make sure you get out to those polls and vote. Okay? That's one way. Or I can say, Christian, out of curiosity, do you plan on voting today or in this upcoming election? So do you know that I will increase the likelihood by 41 or a little bit more than 40% by asking you the question versus telling you we it's our civic duty to get out there and vote. And so how does that correlate to what we're talking about? I have a better chance of engaging if that with that customer if I'm empowering them to communicate the way and the and the way in which they want to communicate. You know, it's interesting on that approach you gave because um, I'm going to give you a a quick little story from this week. I I made a purchase for something and they gave me options, preferences in the beginning of how to communicate with me. And one of them was SMS. Like, yeah, would you like to get a, a communication post this initial transaction with SMS communication. I said, yeah, sure. Why not? Right. Um, even though I get a lot of SMSs for stuff I don't want this one, yeah. I was like, this could be useful for him. And so what was interesting, it was a, a purchasing of a product and then it was the delivery of the product. And what was a little bit different about this approach that I've seen in, in the past is um, 
I was notified when it was shipped, which was fine. You know, that's kind of standard. It gave me the tracking information, which was great. Um, then it allowed me to actually track where the package physically was on a map, which was kind of cool. And then once it was about to be delivered, um, it said, just so you know, it's going to be delivered shortly. Right. And this is just notifying me via SMS and, and just keep an eye out for it. And it just so happened that day, I was kind of forgetting um, what I was going to do, that the package would be sitting out in the front of the house. And I didn't want that to happen. So I yeah. rearranged my day to make sure that I was there for that time frame. And thankfully, it showed up during that time. And literally, as it was being delivered, it says like, hey, just so you know your package. I'm like, oh, that's great. And then afterwards, it says like, hey, can you check the package? Make sure everything's good. And if it's not, here's the instructions to return it right away or how to get it resolved, right? So they were already anticipating that, hey, guess what? Sometimes stuff doesn't show up as it's supposed to. And yeah. it made it simple. And what was interesting, unfortunately, one of the items was damaged. And so oh. right away, I was able to send that stuff in. I took photographs, I sent it back in, and it was good. And so what it was doing is it wasn't just giving me the empowerment to say, hey, this is how I want to be communicated. It actually anticipated my experience. And yeah. it said, this is how I think Based on all the information I have, your experience is going to go. And here's the things I'm going to do to put in play something that will help resolve that friction, right? We're always talking about customer friction. And then for me, you know, also lifetime value. Um, I'm going to be a much loyal customer to yes. this company knowing that they know stuff doesn't always go right. And when it doesn't, that they've already anticipated that it's not me calling into a queue. I'm waiting for someone to get a hold of me forever, or I get transferred. I got to say what I need over again. They've anticipated that, hey, this is probably not going to be perfect. And when it does, let's have, how do we reduce that friction? And so yeah. to your space, right? And to where you're in, how are you, if at all, with your customers looking at not just bringing channels, bringing in options, but taking maybe even data to anticipate how best do I leverage data with these channels, with my communication modes, my outreach or otherwise to be able to blend that and really be able to engage the customer, not only where they want to be, but where they may be knowing some of these trends. Any insight or thoughts on stuff like that? Yeah. I mean, I, first of all, that's an incredible experience, right? You're probably a customer for life. So there's that, that's, that's really good. Um, you know, for us, the data tells the story, right? Um, and, and so there's two ways to sort of look at it. It's how are we taking the data that our customers are giving are giving to us and providing the right analysis back to them so they can make decisions, right? And so one example is, you know, in the mortgage industry, they buy leads, you know, which lead source is the best, right? And so, um, you know, by using a call center, you're able to identify and analyze that data at a much faster rate because you're reaching out to so many more people. So now we can go back to our partners and say, hey, by the way, you've got these four different uh, lead sources. This one is the best. And, and then again, it's their decision, but we're basically passively, aggressively saying, maybe send more data over here, right? The ones that are succeeding. So that's one way. The other way is, you know, like you're referencing, I mean, it's really a neat concept. Call centers are a little bit different, right? Um, it might be a little bit more difficult for us to truly understand the full experience. Now, from a patient recruitment side, we can use this one as an example. And so we set up a lot of people um, to to partner or go to doctor's offices to participate um, 
in a clinical trial. And so what we try to do is omni-channel approach, which is you're making the initial outbound call, right? We set up that appointment for them to go visit. And then we're, then we're following up via text and saying things like, Hey, remember this is like you were saying, you, you needed to change what you were planning for the day because you had that package coming. So again, we're all busy in the world, right? Lots of things going on. So now we text the day before and say, Hey, here's a reminder. And within that reminder, we'll give them sort of, you know, different links that they can go to, to double check the address, double check the name of the site, double check the doctor, what's the study for, and then sort of outline the uh, sort of the process that they'll follow or they're going to go through at the doctor's office. Now, prior to having an omni-channel, you just called and you hope they showed up. Right. So now we're able to leverage those those different types of communication, not only just the text, but also an email. You can email the links. You can do whatever is necessary to make sure you're that you're preparing the customer, the person who's participating in a trial with the best possible experience. And so I think we've got to constantly evolve those processes. A famous African proverb says that if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. At Nobel Biz, we have made it our mission to travel far and wide with our partners and clients. As a complete telecom services provider with over 20 years of experience in the industry, Nobel Biz offers the only voice carrier network designed with the sole purpose of serving call centers around the world. This contact center dedicated carrier network provides crystal clear voice traffic, up-to-date compliance tools, intelligent routing, and highly secure data protocols combined with 99.9% uptime and easy setup. Our goal for 2022 is to become the ultimate partner and provider for the contact center industry by placing service quality at the top of our priority list. To top it off, at Nobel Biz, we have the most competitive cost per minute model in the industry. Need proof? Reach out to us and learn more about the Nobel Biz Voice Carrier Network at www.nobelbiz.com. Yeah. And I think what's interesting is a lot of times when people adopt these technologies, they live in silos, right? I have my group that yes. does that, my group that yep. does web chat, email, voice, right? And then when it comes to reporting, managing, you know, you have these silos, but then what people, you, know, you think about that friction for the customer, right? If you're siloed, it's probably likely that the customer, when they engage you or even their experience is siloed in some ways, right? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. to create that uniformity, you have to be able to go in there and say, okay, if I am going to make the call, when and how should I make the call? How many calls do I need to make? Who do I need to make them to? Because you have a finite amount of people. You know, you can have a database. If let's say you have a big list of people you need to call that day, you're not going to get through everybody right now. So you got to maintain productivity throughout the day. So you have to look at your data and say, who do I need to dial and when? How many times do I need to dial them? Is it only people I haven't dialed or people that I've already dialed, right? How do you start to mix and manage those things? And then as you progress through that, in that interaction, do I just finish it with a voice? Do I send them an SMS or an email during or after that transaction? Do I send them something as an ongoing thing? Like you said, as reminders, yep. maybe I have an offering of web chat. And for some reason, I can't service that person. How do I reduce the least amount uh, uh, friction with that customer or patient or whoever I'm talking to. And maybe I need to get them to a phone call because web chat's just not working for them or whatever it may be. So it's also being able to look at not just the medias, but 
a plan on how you intend to use those together in that journey. And then when it's not working, be open about it and say, all right, what do I need to change? What can I modify and do so? When it comes to the future, though, what are you seeing as technologies or um, mediums that you're going to look to adopt, you're starting to adopt, or even seeing, you know, maybe what's coming down around the corner that it, the industry is moving towards? Well, I think it's the omni-channel approach. And, you know, you mentioned siloed, right? Um, most companies, to be frank, are siloed. They're dialing or they're outbound. Their voice is in one channel. Texting is in a channel. Chat is in a channel and so forth. You go down the line. The problem with that is just what you're, you were saying earlier is I, I, have no, I have no customer history. I have no idea of what's taken place. If I'm on the dialer and I'm making outbound dials, I don't know how many texts have happened. I don't know how many texts have occurred. I don't know what types of communication has taken place. Where Omnichannel really, it, it solves two issues, Christian. One is now I can see the complete history of the way that we've communicated with this customer, which changes the customer experience, right? It provides much greater data immediately versus I've got to pull data from this dialer from this text system or text stack and so forth. Now I've got it all right there. So it's much easier to say, Ooh, this is the better way to communicate or, but it's also important to understand how we've communicated with that customer and what their needs are. Take it one step further. Employee uh, satisfaction, right? We were talking about employee retention earlier. Well, if I've got an employee who's in five different systems communicating five different ways well, what's that going to be like for them and the customer? Where now it's omni-channel, everything is in one page, right? So I've got one browser, I'm working in it. So it changes not only my, as an employee, my satisfaction, because it's much easier to communicate. There's less frustration. It also changes that customer's frustration levels and sort of reduces them as well. And so I really think that over time, and we're migrating this way. I mean, you know, uh, is that omni-channel solution that is in one system that really provides optimum customer experience and employee engagement. So how would you say that actually impacts remote work, right? When it comes to remote work, um, how does the omni-channel experience affect that, if anything? Well, everybody takes remote work a little bit differently. Some people, um, some companies allow agents to use their personal PCs. Some companies may send, you know, equipment out. Right now, what's happening, Christian, is a lot of companies are allowing people to use their personal PCs. I've got a laptop here. I think it's 12 inches, right? How in the world am I going to be able to do all all those different types of communication on this small laptop, right? And so I think Omnichannel is improving that, that, that sort of... Uh, employee experience because now everything sits in there and I can see it. It's visible. Um, you know, I, I think ultimately from the remote standpoint, if you're not providing, I, I guess I'm sort of losing my train of thought here. I guess if you're, it, what you're really trying to ensure that occurs is that that employee experiences the least amount of frustration as possible to reduce your churn. Right. And so we already know call centers have a high turnover. Why add to the problem, right? So we need to consistently find ways to find processes, systems, tech stacks that make the employee's experience as, as, as strong as it can be. Um, when we talk about remote, um, you know, you have a beautiful center, 
Um, you have a nice facility, you know, all, um, you know, modern look and everything like that, which is great. At the same time, though, my understanding is, you know, as we went through the pandemic, everyone went home. So let's kind of shift into that that concept, right? That idea of, you know, when you made that shift from a great, beautiful center, did you have remote workers at that point? Were you always centralized? Talk to me about that journey with when you transition and what does that look like now? Yeah. Uh, so I've actually been part of the remote world since 2010. And so me personally, I've, I've dealt with employees who work from home long before the pandemic hit. We also had, I want to, I want to say 35 to 40 agents who were working in Kansas for us and they were all remote. And so again, they were doing this for a few years prior to the pandemic. And so we were fortunate in a way that when the pandemic hit, we had experience, right? So it wasn't shock. It was shocking getting, you know, 200 agents who were in a building to get them home. And it took a lot of work, but we, we navigated it really well. Um, we, we already understood the way we needed to communicate. Of course, we've evolved and we need to constantly improve there, but we definitely, um, because we had those agents, the transition was much easier. So today, is everyone still remote? Do you have a hybrid? What does the future look like around that for Anomaly? Yeah. So all of our agents are remote. Our corporate team, um, we are hybrid, right? So we've got two or three days a week, we come into the building and then two or three days a week, it just depends. Um, we, our team is working from home. But um, I, for us, unless we would have a partnership with a customer that required it. Um, I really don't believe that we're going to come back into the building. Um, there are just so many benefits to this. Un, un, like we, we didn't realize the number of benefits just from a human resources standpoint, just from a co- you know an employee experience standpoint. Um, I think our agents actually truly enjoy the autonomy and the ability to work from home. I think there's, you know, first of all, they're saving a ton of money. You know, they're, they're not packing a lunch. Um, they're saving on the time, their commute, and they're saving on the fuel. And so I think our employees actually truly appreciate the opportunity to work from home. So I think we're going to stay that way. So it's interesting you say that because I think from when the pandemic hit all the way through now, all the guests we've had, there's kind of been this kind of change and modification of that approach of first going like the shock. But then you have this piece of it where you're going, you know, not all of my employees have an environment that's conducive to working from home. They don't have good internet. They don't have a room. You know, maybe it's their bedroom. And now they don't have that balance between work life and personal life because now my work environment, my sanctuary is also blended over, right? My bedroom or my kitchen table or whatever it is. Have you found that the staff that you had before all were able to transition well to that? Or did you have to find new people? Did you have to find an approach to say, this is the kind of employee that can make that pivot, that can work from there? And then the second piece of that is, you know, obviously when you don't have people in person, you don't have water cooler talk. You don't have to look over the shoulder and say, hey, you know, can I engage, build that camaraderie with somebody? How have you maintained any bit of that kind of culture when people are remote? Yeah. So I I would say somewhere between 65 and 70% of our people were able to transition to work from home. Some of them, it took a little longer, right? They had to get the internet set up. They had to get the equipment. Um, So it was a two or three week process. Um, But then there were others just based on economics, based on situation, based on things like you're referencing, which is internet or whatever that might've been. They just, the speeds just weren't available at that time, right? I mean, what really, what, 
happened to us frequently is we weren't the only ones that went remote, Christian. The schools went remote. And so a lot of the internet providers did not have the bandwidth to handle all these people at once coming in and hopping on their system and saying, hey, we're all now taking all those resources. And so some of the challenges was over. We, we, it took some time for the speeds to, to get up to the levels that we needed to. Um, I want to say about three or four months, it, we, we had to show a lot of grace. Uh, you know, uh, Again, we start a business to run. And so it was important that we work through those processes as much as possible. Um, but at the end of the day, it was about 65 to 70% of the people who were able to work from home. Um, and, and what was the other question? You know, about culture, about creating oh, yeah. that engagement between yeah. staff when they're all remote and disparate. What is it yeah. that Anomaly does and what you've done during the pandemic to now to keep that going? Yeah. What's so funny is how important was water cooler talk to our world for the longest time. I mean, if we're a supervisor, we didn't think we were like, no water cooler talk, be productive, get back in your cubicles, you know, do all those things that you need to do to be productive. You got jobs to do, right? It's extremely valuable. Um, that water cooler talk, that camaraderie, the building, it's all really important. So what we've done is, is a couple of things. One, we use multiple channels of, of communication. Um, we use Slack, right? And so we have different channels within Slack. I mean, we've got one channel that is nothing but employee recipes. So everybody shares different recipes and they talk about their food. They show pictures of the food that they're cooking. Um, we have a fantasy football league. There's a chat there that we everybody sort of talks a little bit of smack throughout the day. Um, you know, So we create these different channels to bring those communications uh, pieces together. Um, the other one that we do that I think is really important is we do breakout sessions. And so what we do within these breakout sessions is a few days a week, we'll take a, we'll take a, a group of 15 agents and we'll spend 15 to 20 minutes with them. And initially it is a training session, right? It's 50% of the time. So 10 minutes, 12 minutes, 13 minutes. We're just talking about, hey, how do, how do we provide the best customer experience? Here are some tips and tricks to become the best agent you need to be. And then we just talk. We just let people talk about one, you know, get to know one another. And it becomes a legitimate sort of team building experience um, that we do three or four days a week. Why is that important? Just what you're saying. We have to build the culture. Um, you're not, there's fate, you know, in a building, you're walking up, you're shaking hands. You maybe have lunch with somebody, you know, you go to the kitchen together, you know, you maybe go outside, some people smoke, they do smoke breaks. They go, well, you've lost all of that. And so these breakout sessions that we have really help us replace place that sort of process. And, and it's really ma made a big difference. The other one is we do town hall meetings. And so I head these up and what I'll do is once, once or twice a month, I'll take five agents and we hop on a zoom call and I let them speak. Right. I give them the floor. What's good? What do we need to change? Um, what do we need to improve? And I, I, my, the way I start that call is Nothing will be held against you. I want your feedback and you will not hurt my feelings because we cannot get better if I don't know what you're facing and what we need to change. And so empowering those employees in that setting has really been beneficial to me, but I also think it benefits them because they feel like they're part of the process. And again, it's just another way to engage and, and, and make sure employees feel like their opinion and their circumstances matter. You know, <laughs> It's great that you do all of that and you really embrace the concept that you got to over communicate a little bit, right? Because yeah. if you don't, 
you don't know what you don't know anymore because that mm-hmm. water cool part doesn't happen. You don't know if an employee right. feels isolated and alone. You don't know if people don't understand the culture or they don't really know what's needed outside of the stuff that you do through supervision, management, coaching, training, and all those things that you would do, but now potentially differently. And so that kind of leads to mental health for a little while, right? Where people mm-hmm. maybe didn't have the work-life balance. They maybe felt stressed about the, 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 the pandemic and obviously people that lost their lives. And then you have all these things that came, but then as you move towards it going forward, you know, you have to start looking at, okay, well, how do we make sure that we have uh, employees that, you know, you can have some positive influence on their mental health or you give them opportunities or places to go where they may have challenges. Did you run into scenarios on your end where that had to be a proactive approach from your business even to now? It sounds like some of the things you're doing help in that space for communication and having a place for people to go. But um, have you seen on your end that being able to help manage through that was important? And was there anything in particular you may have done to help with that? Well, I'll use myself as an example. Um, you know, a year and a half into the pandemic, I realized that I can't, I can't work in my house every day of the week. Um, I need to, I need to go to the building. I need to have that face-to-face communication, not just because I want to, I want to understand what my employers are doing. Me, I wanted to engage, right? I wanted to be in these, I wanted to get out of the house, right? It was, I was going stir crazy. And so I think for, for us, my personal experience helped me sort of understand that we need to be open. We need to be, we need to show empathy. We need to show grace to our employees. And so it's very easy for relationships between managers and employees to become transactional, right? And transactional means, hey, this is a job, you must do it, right? Or you must show up to your job and it doesn't matter what you're going through. Your kid's homesick, your 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 um, your daycare shut down and they're at home. I'm sorry, you still got a job to do, right? And so those are all sort of things that we sort of just took for granted in the built, you know, when you're working in a building because you, you just don't see the same processes taking place. And so for us, I think, Christian, it, it is... To me, you know, I, I said earlier that one of the the biggest sort of things I've learned about being a leader is I need to listen, right? And so I really encourage, and I think it's really important, and this isn't some sort of fancy sort of solution, but listen to your employees. When you're calling and coaching, how are you approaching that situation? Are you just coming in and saying, hey, this, this is what I'm hearing you do on the phones and I need this to change? Or are you coming into that conversation with, hey, Christian, how's your day going? How's things going? How are the calls coming along? Have you had any situations on the phones that you want to talk about, right? How's life? How's your kids? Engage, show interest, and let them speak. Let them talk. Sometimes they just want to vent. Sometimes they just want to be heard. And so we have to be really, really good listeners. I love that. And, you know, what's interesting, one of the things that I've told my staff for a long time now is, you know, when you're communicating with people, are you communicating at them or with Mm. them? Yeah. Right. And and being present in that moment versus what you're going to say next or what you think the answer is. Yeah. Slow down to go faster. 
Yeah. Because in the end, you're going to have to fix something or you're going to have to go back and re-get something or you're going to have to realize you went down the wrong path and now you got to backtrack to go to where you were. That doesn't mean everything you do slowly. It just means that there is something in moments when you're having that human touch, right? We're not talking about bots here. We're not talking about AI. Yeah. We're talking about those engagements in which you have human to human interaction, whether that's you and your customer, your customer's customer, whether that's your internal customer, your staff. Is are you being present and are you being communicating with them versus at them? And, and that's awesome that you really embrace that. So kind of now that we're at the end of the time we have, though, of course, and it's been a great conversation, I want to just kind of finish on a personal note, right? Um, I can imagine that, yeah, you have a lot of work, you're busy, but you have to be doing stuff like you mentioned to kind of disconnect from work. What do you do to disconnect from work? What are you doing when you're not running Anomaly? Uh, my wife's list of, of tasks. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no. Um, so I mean, I, you know, I, I've, I've coached girls basketball for a long time. I love, I love doing that. Um, you know, I think, um, you know, I, I was reading a book the other day and it said, if you're not growing, you're, you're dying. Right. And so, um, I think it's important that we're constantly investing back in our, into ourselves. Um, you know, you mentioned mental health earlier. Um, you know, I, I love, I enjoy working out. I, you know, I've got a little gym in my, in my garage and it's my happy space just because I think, you know, my wife tells me, Hey, you are much happier when you're <laughs> doing that, right? Go for a run, please. Would you? And I, I think, you know, um, that work-life balance is important, getting away, disconnecting. Um, you know, I was saying earlier that, um, you know, I needed to come in the building. Part of the reason I wanted to come in the building is because I was having trouble disconnecting, right? It felt like it was one long day. It was 12 hours. It was never ending. And so I think, you know, again, investing in physical to, to help the mental. Um, I, I've got my daughter, um, she's 16 and I love spending time with her. Um, teaching her to drive was an, it was a fun experience. Um, <laughs> much, yeah. So I, I, you know, just getting outside nature. Um, I, I have the two dogs. I, I love, you know, taking them for walks and enjoying time with them and, and playing with them. And, uh, um, just again, doing everything I can. I think the biggest challenge I have is how do I disconnect from the tech? Yeah. You I know, think because we're in an age that we're always on, you got yeah. the phone, you yeah. got email, you got the TV, you got technology running at all times. One of the things that I found helpful for myself, and it's it's a discipline that I have to do. Otherwise, I don't disconnect, especially working from home. I can imagine exactly what you're saying when you're having those 12, 14, 16 hour days where you're just, oh, I got one more text, one more email. I got yep. someone paying me or something is, you know, you block off time on your calendar. Do not let your email control your day. Yeah. Your, your time is valuable. So respect it. And then that way you can actually start finding respect for your own time. So blocking specific segments of time on your calendar for very specific things that are not work related um, and living towards as much as you can, of course, within reality. We know there's exceptions, yeah. but finding those blocks of time, whether that's going to the gym, whether it's going for a walk, going to get some food, <laughs> stepping yeah. away from the desk or whatever, I, I find has been really useful and important. Um, with that said, of course, right? There's going to be people that want to reach out to you. They want to reach out to Anomaly. They want to engage you and understand more about your business or even just your journey and about you. So how do people get a hold of you? How do people get a hold of Anomaly? 
our website is www.anomalysquared.com. Um, so pretty straightforward. It's funny how, you know, I, I still sometimes am challenged with spelling the word anomaly just because you don't use it that often. Um, but my emails are bare at anomalysquared.com. We're on LinkedIn. Um, we're consistently, um, social's important to us, right? And, and communicating and sharing our stories. So we're there. Um, they can reach out to us anytime. Um, we'd love to talk and love to chat and see if we can partner. Absolutely. That's great. And look, for anyone who wants to know more about Rob's business, about Rob himself, being able to connect, please reach out, engage. And obviously, for those of you who attended today, thanks so much for giving us some of your time. Thanks for joining again. First Contact Stories of the Call Center. Catch you next time. All right. Thank you, Christian. Thank you for joining me in this episode. If you're loving the content, make sure to hit that subscribe button on your YouTube channel for exclusive clips, webinars, workshops, and bonus materials. And if you're an Apple iTunes listener, we greatly appreciate a five-star rating and review to help spread the word. On our YouTube page, you can also leave us feedback, comments, and suggest future guests that you'd like to hear from. For even more valuable insights and information on the call center world, visit NobelBiz.com and access our on-demand webinars. I'm Christian Montez, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of First Contact Podcast. Stay with us for the next exciting chapter.